0: Hello, I'm Senior Jim Lasanti. Today, i personally speaking, I'll be joined by Madison Cawthorn. Madison is a 24-year-old real estate investor from Western North Carolina who recently defeated the candidate endorsed by President Trump in a Republican runoff for White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows' seat in Congress. Please stay with us. Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Gimlissanti, and Madison Cawthon joins me now. Madison is a real estate investor who recently, in a surprise win, beat his Republican opponent, Linda Bennett, in the primary race for the U.S. House seat vacated by Mark Meadows, who stepped down from Congress to become President Trump's chief of staff. President Trump had backed Linda Bennett, but while Madison didn't have his endorsement, he ran on a pro-Trump platform. Madison Cawthorne is running to represent North Carolina's 11th congressional district, a Republican-leaning district in western North Carolina. He turns 25 in August of this year, the required minimum age to become a member of Congress. If elected, Madison Cawthorne would become the youngest member of the House. Madison's personal story has been part of his campaign message. In 2014, he was nearly killed in a car crash and left partially paralyzed and living life in a wheelchair. He's here with us today to tell us what gave him a renewed sense of purpose and why he feels he's ready to bring a new generation of leadership to Washington, DC. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking, congressional candidate, Madison Cawthon. Madison, we had, we had recently on uh, Congressman Dan Lipinski of Chicago. He's a Democrat, but he's also pro-life. He had a primary he was facing and uh, they were going after because he was pro-life. And he lost that primary, so he lost his nomination. I mentioned that because I said to him, uh, is it possible to be true to your values in Congress and still be electable? He said, well, in my party right now, it's, it's tough, especially if you're pro-life. What are you going to do to stay true to the things you believe when you're told in Washington, you know what, you just got to compromise? Hey, well, I will tell you one thing. Um, one, I am from a very, very...
1: Incredible community in Western North Carolina, up in the mountains. A lot of good country, mountain values. I, I share the same values as my constituents, uh, for overwhelmingly. And so the great part about that is that I, I don't have to worry about uh, losing my base if I stick true to my values. It's turned out that especially in the recent past with the former Congressman Meadows, uh, you know, our my constituency in Western North Carolina responds incredibly well to when you take those hard stands when you you shrug off leadership or when you shrug off the establishment because i really believe that you know the establishment it 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 creates a less effective congress than what we we truly need to have we're called to be there to be representatives for our constituents but rather so many people are going up there they get caught up in the power games they get caught up in the day-to-day life of washington dc and it's just it's it's not profitable for their constituents
0: I hope that can be true for you because it would be wonderful if a guy like you can be true to those values that your people reflect. Uh, This is going to be a change of topics, but I think you'll find it interesting. Every weekend, I get to do weddings. And when I do, to make a better homily, I say to the couples, okay, write me an essay. Why of all the people in the world you could marry, why is this the one in a billion that you know you can build a life with for 50 or 60 years? You're not only about to become a congressman at 24, 25, but you are also engaged to Christina, why is Christina the one? Oh, well, I am so glad you asked this. This is a very fun question. You know what?
1: So Christina, I will tell you, she's not my type. Uh, <laughs> I, I had a type of what I looked for in girls and what, what, I, what I thought I wanted to marry. But then I met Christina and it, it, it's kind of like when I think people got a smartphone for the first time. You didn't realize how much you needed it. Uh, but Christina is just incredible. She is uh, she's one of the fittest women on the planet. Uh, she is a CrossFit superstar, so she's in, in, incredibly strong, incredibly uh, athletic. Wow. But in, in addition to that, she actually just took her boards for anesthesia. Uh, she graduates in August with a master's in anesthesia, and she is currently actually performing uh, C-sections right, right at this very moment in <laughs> Atlanta, Georgia, at wow. a hospital there. So she's she's doing incredible. Uh, but I will tell you, more so than that, You know, one, she's a Christian, uh, mm-hmm. so her and I share the same values because, you know, obviously with the, with the Bible verse, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child, you know, I I have a way that I want to discipline my children. I have a way that I want to raise my children. So I feel like if we don't, if you marry someone and you're unequally yoked Mm -hmm. and you don't share that same value system, it'll become difficult, especially when you have children. And so I'm glad that her and I share the same values, but you know what I have found that her and I just have fun. That is the most. That is the thing that I love the most about her. Her and I can just. We could be stuck in a room together, and we could just. We, we could create the best memories. Uh, you know, her and I are just. Just we, we really get along. She's my best friend. I'll tell you that.
0: Isn't that great? Now, if I had Christina here, I said, "Why, why Madison? What would she say?" Oh, she'd probably say she was bamboozled, and she's trying to get out of the whole thing. No. She's
1: great. She's great. You know, I'll have to have her back on, and I'll, she'll give you the answer. Good, good. You <laughs> do a double
0: interview. I like that idea. Let's go to something uh, kind of going to the parental role you were just talking about. Your parents in raising you, Madison. What did they do right?
1: You know what? I always say that I was raised on proverbs and pushups. Okay. Uh, they believed in trying to impart as much wisdom as possible, especially when it came from you know Judeo-Christian values. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was forced to read the Proverbs every single morning, one chapter every day. And so, uh, it was, it was an incredible way to start your day because, you know, the Proverbs is just such a, such a simple chap book in the Bible. It's just, Hey, do this. Don't do that. Right. It's very, very simple. It's easy for a child to understand and it helped, it helped for my public speaking abilities because I would have to get behind a podium at six years old. And I'd read a, a proverb <laughs> every single morning. And I did that all the way through, uh, until I was 18, actually. So it was a, uh, Wow. It was an, an incredible way to be raised. But also when I say proverbs and pushups, there was a significant amount of discipline. Uh, my parents mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of rules, but they had very high expectations. And if we didn't meet those, you know, there, there were consequences, whether that was, you know, being grounded for uh, being forced to literally do pushups. Uh, I remember sometimes my dad would say, okay, well, we're going to do pushups until I get tired. And then he'd sit in a chair and I would just keep going until my arms gave out. And uh, it was, <laughs> it was a great way to be raised. But uh, you know most importantly, my parents imparted love on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they they cared about me they they supported me in anything I wanted to do you know I, I would say that my mother taught me compassion taught me my, my people skills she was like the gunpowder but my father was the barrel you know he really shaped me he made sure that I was going in the right direction and I veered off the path too far you know he was just like that bore in the barrel forcing you in the correct direction and then I, I just was able to be projected forward thanks to them I, I, I attribute much of who I am to my parents
0: uh, we're talking here with Madison Clawthorne. He is a congressional candidate from North Carolina soon. I hope to be a congressman from North Carolina. Uh, let's go to something that uh, people listening around the country would know about you. That is the accident that you had in your late teens. When I'm dealing, uh, Madison, with people who have no faith and they go through tough times, they very often express anger at God. Uh, I never believed anyway, and now I really don't believe. But for people of faith it's tougher in that we do believe, and because we believe, we want to believe that because we're good guys. God is noticing our good guidance and is going to watch over us. When you went through that experience of the accident, uh, did you go through any period of, uh, shaking your fist in God's face? Like, Hey, why me?
1: Uh, you know what? I will say, thankfully I had a very real relationship with the Lord and it was informed over years and years, just, you know, constantly walking with him. I, got Jesus, my friend, mm-hmm. uh, he's my brother. And then, you know, God, the father, uh, but I will say, so I, I never lost my faith, never, never was rebellious to the Lord. But I will say, um, I remember one time I was just struggling with my emotions because I felt hurt. I felt betrayed. You know, I, I remember I had, I had fasted uh, two weeks before that accident happened, just asking for God's will in my life. And then, you know, I, I just remember being in the hospital saying, wow, God, this is the will you have for me in my life. Uh, and I remember when I was, I was really having a hard time being able to, to express my feelings. So I didn't want to speak in a bad way about my God uh, to anyone. And I also didn't want to, I wanted to be respectful towards him when I was in prayer. And so I, I was in a strong, uh, tough time, but I'll tell you what changed all of that. My older brother, my older brother is one of the wisest men I know. Uh, he was, he was, he was by my bedside and he said, so have you been talking to God recently? I said, yeah, but I'm really struggling on what to say. And he said, and he put his hand on me and he said, well, Madison, just remember that God can take it and don't be afraid to ask tough questions. Wow. And then he got up and left the room and I felt a lot like David. You know, you read through Samuel, you read, you see David out. He's just really just sometimes crying out to the Lord, like, like why so downcast over my soul in the Psalms? And I, I was the same, you know, I, and God can take it. I, I, I really, I, there were times I was in the throne room in prayer, just yelling, just being, God, why is this happening to me? Uh, but you know what? He showed me incredible grace, incredible mercy. And uh, he he gave me a peace that transcended all understanding. And, uh, you know, I, I asked tough questions. I said, God, are you here? Is this is this what you have for my life? And he answered. Me. And so to anyone listening, I encourage you, if you are struggling with with your with your faith, or if you actually believe in God, I challenge you just say, God, show yourself to me, mm-hmm. you know, make yourself known, please. Allow me, and you know, that's not testing your God as, as you're not supposed to do, but that's I believe that, that that's very fair within our faith, and I think God will always answer those calls if that's they're honest.
0: Be- that's beautiful, Madison. Thank you for that. And uh, you know, Madison Cawthorn, for those listening, is kind of an unusual guy in that. Uh, and I feel this way about the church, not just about politics. You've said about Republican Party, you know, we got to stop saying what we're against and express what we're for. And sometimes I feel with my own church that we are very clear about all the things we're against, but like, what are we for? Two issues that you've talked about, immigration and health care. What can we do to show as uh, conservatives, as Republicans, what we're positively for? How can we change the game for the good?
1: Well, you know what? I think the Republicans have struggled so much with messaging, Mm-hmm. Over the past few decades, especially when it comes to immigration, you know the way that they have they have presented it, it makes us seem as if we're xenophobic and, and we right. hate people that don't look like us. Uh, but that's not the case at all. You know we, the reason we want to secure border is just because we want to make sure our national security is taken care of. Uh, and more so, we also just want to know who's coming into our country. I love legal immigration. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my my fiance is a, is a second generation immigrant. Her father came here from Haiti. Uh, An incredible family, incredible life story with my with my cr- fiance's uh, family. But I will tell you that you know, without without immigration, our country would be worse <laughs> <Yeah>. off. <laughs> right. I, I genuinely believe that you know, bringing in people, especially skilled people, in a merit based uh, uh, immigration process, you know, we can we can make our country better. It gives us uh, more diversity of thought. Mm -hmm. And also it can bring in some of the most incredible people, you know, the fastest growing demographic for wealth in our country for wealth creation Mm -hmm. is Asian Americans. You know, they, they, they come here, they, they work hard. Oftentimes I feel like many of the first generation immigrants who come to our country work much harder than Americans who have been here for people like me for eight (laughs) generations. Right. And uh, so I, you know, I, I think that we need to be more forward thinking when it comes to immigration, who we bring into our country and really just show that, you know, we love immigrants. We just want to
0: make sure that we know who you are. Uh, Madison Cawthorn is our Madison, you've uh, shared with us that the experience of the accident moved you from sympathy, which is a good thing, but even more deeply into something called empathy, where you actually walk in the shoes of someone else who's uh, suffering. In the same way, you are, as you mentioned, an eighth-generation American. You might be, Madison, the whitest guy I've ever had on my show. So I have to ask you <laughs> I got to ask you, how do you develop empathy for the struggle of African Americans?
1: Well, you know what? I believe the, the big thing that, that changed my life is, you know, after my accident, my very first outing, I went to a professional baseball game with my whole family. And, you know, before my accident, when I was 18 years old, I was, I was six foot three, 225 pounds. I was, mm-hmm. I was planning on going to play college football in a couple of months. You know, I was an imposing figure. Anytime I walked through a crowd, you know, people would always notice me. I, people would just step out of my way. They, they would look at me. It was an instant level of respect just based on my my, my, my physicality. Uh, but then, for the very first time, I'm in a crowd for the first time since my accident. I lost 85 pounds in three weeks. I'm nothing but I'm just flesh and sinew at this point. my My face looks like a skull. I'm in a wheelchair. I've got a uh, I got a leg bag on connected to a a, a catheter in me. You know, I, I I look I'm the I'm the definition of weakness at that moment. And I will tell you, I noticed people looked at me different. Mm -hmm. Everyone looked at me different. People looked at me with pity. Some people looked at me with, why are you here? Some people just overlooked me completely and just didn't even notice me. And you know what? I I know that I was not born with a physical disability. I was not born with a a skin color that made people treat me differently. But I will tell you that that interaction that I had, that that moment that taught me what it was like to be looked over in a crowd to feel disenfranchised, to feel like perhaps I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you would, you, I could roll by people in here. Somebody whisper, look at that, look at wheels over there or something. And, you know, I feel like that's the same for a, for an African-American man, you know, the, the, the slight right. little, a man, maybe saying boy or w- whatever, you know, they right, have right. to face in their day-to-day life. It's given me an ability to be able to empathize with them, to say, Hey, I, I, although I was not born with this, I do in a, in a way know what you're going through. And I can empathize with that. And it, it enables me to, especially if, uh, if I, if I see someone who is treating uh, a different race in a, in a, in a poor way, in a, in a racist way, I can speak to them very quickly because you know, they respect me. Cause as you said, I'm the whitest guy you've ever had on your show. Uh, they respect me. And I, I, and I can say, you know what? Hey, I've been in his position. I'm in a wheelchair. I know what it's like for people to look at me differently. Do you know what you just did? And then I can explain to them in a way that either is going to make them feel really, really bad about themselves right. or the second they're just going to get angry. And I'm going to realize that I ain't talking about
0: my life. <laughs> Right. I like that. For those who don't know, Madison Cawthorn, when he overwhelmingly won his Republican primary and became the nominee of the party, he, uh, he was also, interestingly enough, not endorsed by President Trump. Uh, his opponent was. But uh, Madison has gone out of his way to say, hey. I have no problem with the president. I'm supportive of his agenda. Uh, You know, Madison, that especially in New York where I'm from, people either love them or they can't stand them. Tell me something good about Donald Trump from your perspective.
1: You know what? My entire philosophy, when it comes to government, I believe they are there to build the framework for society to thrive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that that means that we need to be safe. Our borders need to be protected. We need to have a qualitative military edge with our military. Uh, But we also need to be able to have infrastructure and a, you know, a very fair police force that enforces the law equally and fairly across the board. Uh, And so I but I I believe that the greatest thing our federal government can do is, one, make sure that we're safe and Mm -hmm. two, make sure we have a roaring economy with with prosperous trade deals and good tax systems. And I believe that is what Donald Trump thrives on. You know, perhaps he might he may sometimes blunder when it comes to um, where he just is sending tweets off or whatever, whatever whatever it is. (laughs) But I will tell you, I have never seen a president, and, and I, I'm, a, I'm a great lover of history. I've never seen a better jobs and economy president. And, you know, I, I know that in 2019, we had the greatest economy the world has ever seen. Yeah. Uh, now it's been, it's been destroyed by, because of a government-mandated shutdown because of this coronavirus. Yeah. And so I, uh, I, I, I'm thankful that we have President Trump at the helm because I believe he'll be the best, best personal suited to bring us back. And, you know, once we have a strong economy, once we have an, an unbeatable economy again, then we can start. We maybe we can elect someone who's better on social issues or something, or whatever. happening. but I will actually say, I believe President Trump has done more for the African American community than almost any president since Abraham Lincoln. Uh, I mean, you you look at and it's it's funny to say this talking about politics, but you look at Kanye West and Kim Kardashian working in conjunction with the president <laughs> for this uh, First Step Act. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. when I heard that, they, when I heard they were getting together to do a bill. I, I was, I was, I was, I was. this is going to be nothing good. Uh-huh. But I have been so impressed with it because it, 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 it's, it's much needed criminal justice reform that we need in our country. And I'm very thankful
0: for that. I'll give you another example of what I think you're talking about, this unique uh, backbone that he has. Uh, President Ronald Reagan, President George Bush the I and second all identified as pro- pro-life, and that's fine. But I have to tell you, as someone who's gone for years to the March for Life in January in Washington, D.C., Uh, They'd send a message, but nobody would come. This guy, Trump, decides if I'm pro-life, I'm going to go and join these 800,000 people. And and I've never seen a president come out to a demonstration like that before. Uh, He's got chutzpah, we would say in New York. You know, if you believe something, he's going to go with no matter what the world says. I'm sure he was advised not to go, but I appreciate that. Speaking of that issue, when you go down to Washington in uh, January for that March for Life, so many more people are high school, college age, young adults why do you imagine that is that uh, this issue that was seemingly settled a long time ago, that young people still think that the unlimited, unrestricted right to abortion is a bad idea? Why do young people embrace life?
1: I will tell you.
0: I believe it's because the uh, the Roe v. Wade
1: ruling that happened those decades ago is archaic. It's yeah. outdated and it doesn't reflect our science. Uh, you know, obviously I've always been pro life, but it was actually uh, my fiance who really gave me a, some great ammunition to, to point out why she's pro-life, you know, she was raised down in Miami, a very liberal area. So, you know, I, I expected us to have some pretty, diff- some pretty large differences in our uh, politics, but it turns out she's a very true conservative. I love it. And the reason she told me, and I said, well, why are you pro-life? I mean, you're from Miami. You're, you're, most, most people where you're from are, are very, very uh, pro-choice. And she said that it was because of her medical training. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, she's actually in, in, in an operating room helping perform C-sections right now. She said that when Roe v. Wade was passed, you know, we didn't even have the ability to use an ultrasound. Yeah. And she said that when, when she shows a mother, a mother who's about to give birth, the ultrasound of her baby, and she sees it on the screen, she sees this baby has a heartbeat. And mm-hmm. the too, also that well, through science, we know that also these babies, even at just, just a couple weeks old, respond to pain. They try to evade yeah. any, any, any type of an abortion and so I believe that a lot of people realize that Roe v. Wade is outdated. It's uh, our, our science proves that life begins much earlier than what, what they're saying. I mean, you know, we, we have we had the Born Alive Bill trying to get passed yeah. here in uh, North Carolina, where you know, they, they were trying to say that if if a baby survives a botched abortion, the president, the, not the president, the uh, the doctor can then kill the baby on the operating table. It, mm. it, it's disgusting. and sad. And I believe we've got to turn this around because this is a genocide going on in our country. And you know what? God can't stand for that. He can't honor that. And I I don't want our country to be judged.
0: I totally agree with Madison Cawthorne. So I guess Madison, I promise I'm going to wrap it soon, but let me ask you someday, you and Christina, God willing, will have children of your own. From watching your parents and your own life, have you guys figured out how do we pass on to these children? We will love the values that matter.
1: You know what, I believe the best way to do it is
0: uh, my, my brother has, has
1: just had his fourth daughter. So I, uh. I've gotten to see some some beautiful young nieces grow up. And, uh, <laughs> but I've realized, you know, as I'm getting older, as I'm watching this, that they their minds are basically a video recording, an audio recording. They are watching everything. You know, I, I realized that, you know, I, I one time actually said a, an inappropriate word in front of them. And then I caught a call from my brother the next day saying why did you say this to my daughter? Like, oh, and he's like, now she's walking around repeating it. And I believe the best way we can demonstrate to our children and impart on them, the, the values that we want them to have is to, to live it out, you know, to live out our Christian faith in front mm-hmm. of them day to day. So they see, Hey, you know what? Not only do my parents say this, but they also show compassion. They also show Jesus' love. They also are, are, are very, very giving. They, they are people who they have, but they're also very disciplined in their faith. Mm-hmm. You know, I, You know, as much as I have a great relationship with the Lord, it takes discipline to work on that relationship day in and day out, just as it does with any other relationship. And so I believe imparting that into them and, and explaining to them in a way they can understand it and also being willing to let them ask, ask them tough questions. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I feel like so often we put children in kind of this Christian bubble where they're never exposed to any other ideas or any other thoughts. And then we're, we're, uh, we're confused that when they go to college, they say oh, they're starting to explore all these different options let them explore different options and, and, and try and navigate different faiths and navigate why they believe what they believe while they're in your home, because then you can truly impart on them the wisdom that you have gained over the years and life experience that you have.
0: Madison Cawthorn has had a, a great blessing in that in winning his primary, suddenly the national media has taken a great interest in him. And they've been very kind and positive about you. But you know, as well as I, Madison, that when it comes to being Republican or conservative or Christian, uh, you're not always going to get the fairest shake from popular media. H- how do you plan on getting your message across and not allowing them to uh, create an image of you that's not accurate?
1: Uh, my main plan is to utilize the New Town Square. Uh, you okay. know, since this this advent of uh, social media, I believe that we have found that you know we can bring our message just like uh, just like Martin Luther did with the Protestant revo- uh, Protestant re- re- Revolution that happened when he went to the town square, nailed his theses to right. the door. You, you know what? There's not a physical town square very much anymore in the in the in the world or in the country, but now there is this digital town square where we can go onto Facebook, we can impart our ideas, we can share our life experiences. But I believe that allows us to circumvent the mainstream media. Uh, you know, we don't have many Republicans who have utilized social media to its full extent yet, although the Democrats are doing great job. I believe really the only, uh, the only Republican I, I can personally think of that's doing a good job with it is Dan Crenshaw. Yeah. You know, he, he's reaching out to, to young people and, and also reaching out to people of all generations who are on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter in an incredibly effective way. And so I, I want to join those ranks. I want to be able mm-hmm. to, uh, to get my message out to people so that they, they know what I truly believe, not just what the media portrays.
0: Madison Cawthon, so I guess. Madison, uh, years ago when I was talking to Justice Anson and Scalia, I, we were talking about another justice on the Supreme Court who came in as pro-life but changed along the way. And I said, what happened to him? And Justice Scalia said Georgetown happened to him. The temptations of being accepted by the elite, the powerful people in D.C. happened to him. Uh, what's going <laughs> to keep Madison Cawthon... Honest and uncompromised.
1: Well, you know, what? I feel like a lot of the problems come stem from arrogance. You know, people thinking that they are because I, you know these congressmen spend day after day having people call them and say, "Oh, it's an honor to have some of your time. It's a great honor to see you." Uh, and you know, the more you're told that, I think that it finally can take seed, and you can become pretty arrogant. And because mm-hmm. of that, you think that you want more power, and so you start playing this DC political game. Um, but you know what? As you said, that the the mainstream media has been very kind to me for the last three weeks. You know, I. I think I've gained over a hundred thousand followers on my social media. I, uh, people are telling me I'm just the greatest thing since sliced bread every day, <laughs> and I, I, I can see how that would make people pretty arrogant and content. But I will tell you, uh, just like Paul, I feel as if I have a thorn that's in my side, and it's me being in a wheelchair. And, you know, every morning I wake up. You know, I, I, I when I wake up, you know, I think of myself just as who I am, and I'm not in a wheelchair. I'm not paralyzed, and so I'll turn to get out of bed, and then all of a sudden I realize, you know, the lower uh, two thirds of my body doesn't work. And, uh, and that's a very humbling experience. And there's so many minor inconveniences, major inconveniences face being in a wheelchair that I, I think keeps me humble. And so, although I believe that, you know, this wheelchair is the bane of my existence and I, I would do anything to get out of it almost, I do believe it comes with its benefits. And one is that it keeps me humble and it keeps my, it keeps my feet on the ground as to say. And, uh, and so I, I think because of that, I'll be able to, to reject this, uh, this desire to have more power because I won't be very arrogant.
0: I want to thank Madison Cawthorn for being with us and personally speaking as a longtime Republican guy and of some conservative values. I got to tell you, this young man, gives me more hope than ever about the future of values that last. Uh, Madison, great success in your electoral uh, challenge. Uh, Go to Congress, make good things happen, and just know our prayers, our friendship, and support it with you. You are a great sign of hope for all of us, especially for our country. I'm grateful for you stepping forward to be a public servant. And when you have time, encourage Christina to come on our show so we can find out why she loves Madison Cawthorn. Yes, I will do
1: it. My brother, thank you so much. Have a great day.
0: You too. Thanks, Madison. Farewell. Bye. As we end today's program, I want to thank you all for being with us. If you have any questions or comments about the show, you can send them to me through my website, which is www.closeencountertv.com. www.closeencountertv.com. To listen to our Personally Speaking podcast with some of our most recent shows, you can go to find them on YouTube, the search under Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Losanti and subscribe. Personally Speaking is also available as a podcast on Apple Podcasts, iHeart, and Spotify. You can also listen to past episodes by going to www.ollmp.org. Again, www.ollmp.org, where you'll get not only past shows, but also be able to listen to Monsignor Jim Losanti's weekly homilies. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer, Personally Speaking. Our producer is Lisa Janativitz. I'd like to thank you all so much for being with us and hope you'll be with us again next time on Personally Speaking.